Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of All Things Family Enrichment. I am Tim Rolfe, the Family Advocacy Program Manager here at Redstone Arsenal. And this month is October's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And with me today is our Domestic Violence Victim Advocate, Jeronica Frierson, and our new parent support person, Maria McCall. And we are really excited to bring you this edition because we want to talk about some things that are trending and things that we see that are important in the realm of domestic violence and within our practice and some of the research that we may be looking at. And recently, Jeronica, I wrote an article and we posted it in the Redstone Rocket and it went out in this last iteration. And one of the things I wanted to talk about first and foremost is this issue of it talks about domestic violence nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the united states during one year this equates to approximately 10 million individuals so Mm the 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 frequency in which domestic violence occurs and of course this just mentions physical violence but we know that domestic violence like we've covered in other episodes is is domestic violence is a very broad topic but uh, talk to us about the prevalence of domestic violence and 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 how 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 frequently is this really occurring um, throughout our homes in America? According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, we are looking at one in three women and one in four men who have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. On a typical day, domestic violence hotlines receive approximately nineteen thousand calls. So that's basically 13 calls every minute. Hmm. Okay. So in 2018, a little dated, but, and I think if we take into even account COVID, 20% domestic violence accounted for 20% of all violent crime. So, you know, when you think about it, you know, in a room full of people, right? The likelihood that someone has experienced it is greater than not. Right. Okay. And that's both men and women. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I I think it's interesting because a lot of times people do not think of men as Mm -hmm. traditionally domestic violence victims. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, we're, we're entering into, you know, an age now where we're understanding that it does happen more frequently yes. than not. Yes. But it goes un- underreported, yes, right? Absolutely. Like men are not likely to report any domestic violence that they may be incurring. Absolutely. And uh, and I've read an article and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's correct where that men typically abuse more physically mm-hmm. where women tend to abuse more mentally and emotionally. Would mm-hmm. you say that's correct in in your experiences? So or? I would think I would say I've been an advocate for nine years, social worker for almost 15 years. So that that is on par with typically, you know, what what we see. I think what we've had to come to uh, grips with is that, you know, there's this assumption that if you can physically over overpower someone in some way, that that's the only way to control them. And that's just simply not not the truth. Once you or someone has gotten, you know, in your head, right, that's that is where the issues start. Right. If you have 
if I am in a situation, if I am in a unhealthy relationship and there's this dynamic where I question my value as a person, I question my worth, I've lost my self-esteem, I've lost my connectedness. You may have never put your hands on me physically, right? But the impact of that psychological and emotional abuse is real and it impacts how I show up in the world. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to talk about one specific form of domestic violence, and that's that of strangulation, right? Yes. We know that non-fatal strangulation is a, let's say it ups the ante, right? It does. We, we know that those are much more serious cases. Yes. Because the reality is it takes very, very little pressure to cause a, a fatal result, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that if you've, if you've come to a point where you've actually passed out, then... Mm-hmm you know, how close is the victim to death, right? And 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 the seriousness of that. And Mm -hmm. I think victims sometimes may look at that or even you know, the general population may consider that as well, just another form of violence where strangulation is a really unique form of violence um that that is super, super dangerous, correct? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Typically and I and I will say that not only, you know, have I have I heard this from the people that I've worked with, but I've also even seen this perpetuated on whether it's social media or, you know, on television. And it's, you know, an idea Well, you know, they didn't hit you, but just kind of, you know, lack of a better way, they, you know, choked you out or something like that. Right. And no, you've got to you have to think about it, like your ability to breathe is being restricted. And in that moment, there is nothing that very little between the person that is doing that, your offender, right? What gauge are they using to determine that it's too much, right? Or we've crossed that threshold of, you know, basically looking at it being nearly fatal Mm -hmm. beyond that fact. So, you know, let's say it was not fatal. We do know that there are residual side effects that last following a strangulation incident, right? Right. And, and, and like I, I think about, you know, because batterers, right, mm-hmm. they, they know, right, that if they punch someone in the eye or they give them a fat lip mm-hmm. and that person is out in the workforce the next day, then yes. a lot of questions are going to be raised. Right. Right. But isn't it true, especially with people who are intentionally trying to, you know, abuse, control, batter, that they look for ways of harming their victims that aren't so visibly obvious. And Absolutely. the challenges with that, with law enforcement response yes. and things of that nature. Can you Absolutely. talk to us a little bit about that? Right. So you, a lot of times, there's definitely, I believe, a thought process or a form of maliciousness that goes into how DV, particularly physical violence, is actually executed, right? So you are, most, a lot of people will be very cognizant of, you know, not hitting you somewhere that will be very obvious to the naked eye. When you look at something like strangulation, right, what what can you do? That's a, that's easier to cover. It's not that that area won't um, bruise, but it's easier to conceal without it appearing a bit off versus the arms or you know the face area. But it's also one of the most lethal, 
right right up there with weapons right, right. utilizing a weapon yeah. and so i think it's important you know to recognize that if that has occurred that ups the ante absolutely in terms of danger it, it's almost like somebody pointing a gun at them or mm-hmm. threatening to turn the car into traffic while yes. driving right yes. i mean it can be yep. that dangerous absolutely and i think the response obviously mm-hmm. has got to be one especially when we're talking about military command mm-hmm. interventions and mm-hmm. law enforcement you know first responders we need to be educated on those things and yes. how lethal those types of things do and i know in your work mm-hmm. you do lethality assessments correct, correct? Yeah. yeah and so correct. you kind of do an assessment of you know where is this lethality on a, on a scale yes right and, absolutely and, and base your responses accordingly one of the unique things and i know this may get talked about a lot but i think it's extremely important when it when we talk about domestic violence is the cycle mm-hmm. that couples go through mm-hmm. and the fact that you know when couples go through a situation and it's kind of like they go through the the violent piece then mm-hmm. they have this honeymoon phase mm-hmm. and then things start heating up again and then they're back at a violent situation mm-hmm. and what what i found what i find unique in that dynamic is that not only do we know that the victims don't leave the first time, Mm -hmm. right? Most times it takes multiple times for things to occur for a victim to finally Mm -hmm. resolve to leaving the relationship Mm -hmm. due to various different reasons, very complex issues beyond people's general awareness of why victims return and stay in relationships. Mm -hmm. But also, Jeronica, the dynamic where support services and family supports and friendships that kind of pull away from the victim them mm-hmm. saying well you're you know you're silly for going back to that right. relationship and right. that that very that adds to the challenge of the whole dynamic yes. does it not it absolutely does i remember when i first started working as an advocate back in 2013 my impression of what i would be doing and what i actually do is very different right mm-hmm. and so interesting one of the things that i thought was that you know okay you you're going to come in. I'm going to get you connected with resources, you know, the wraparound services, what social workers like to call yes. it, right? <laughs> get you these wraparound services and, you know, you will be able to to go on and, you know, live your life the way it's meant to be lived, right? Only to get humbled real quick about mm-hmm. what, one, what the, the barriers are were. So even before talking about barriers, having to understand and acknowledge the fact that a person is at their most unsafe when they're trying to leave a relationship. Right. That's that's a critical point, right? That's That's a very, very critical point where, you know, it is, it can be very, very volatile and very, very dangerous. Right. And so beyond that, because the batter is losing control, because right? the batter He's, is losing control, or he right? He is losing and control of that situation. How dare you, right? Mm-hmm. How dare you make this decision for yourself, override, you know, me or whatnot? Okay, so you don't leave right away, but that one in, it takes about seven times. That's real because I think what I want people to understand is is that it's not just leaving. So you have the just the regular stuff, 
how do I secure shelter? How do I secure funding for shelter? Mm -hmm. Because you cannot stay in a, in a domestic violence shelter forever, right? right? What about our children? So, you know, one way that batterers, you know, are able to still have impact or influence over a victim is through children, right? Mm -hmm. And utilizing, you know, children. What if you haven't been in the workforce in, you know, three years or five years for our military folk? What if you have been committed to your partner and em embracing their career, meaning you, when they move, you move, right? right? No questions asked. So you may have forfeited some things that you could have done to grow in support, so, of the soldier, in support right yeah. in support of that soldier yeah. and now all of a sudden you are wanting to leave but you are absolutely overwhelmed with the fact that what are my resources right and we can everyone can help with something but not all you're having to go back and there have been many a times where i've had to say to someone the best thing you can do is right in this moment is create a strategy mm -hmm. Right. Because we know what it's like, like if, if you've ever been displaced, you know, whether it's power go out because of a thunderstorm or, you know, something happens and you've been displaced. Right. How do we behave? Even when we know that there's an end in sight. Right. Mm -hmm. Insurance is going to come through. Huntsville Utilities is going to come through. Right. Mm -hmm. There's an end in sight. But imagine being displaced and no end in sight. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what you're going to do. And you got a couple little ones, little ones or big ones who are looking to you to figure it out. Yeah. And yeah. you're still in danger. And, and, and that's why I'm really glad that the Army does provide services like yours, right, for for victims to have a victim advocate to come alongside. Because mm -hmm. I think, you know, that that dynamic of of people wondering why you're staying in a relationship mm -hmm. or, well if you go back to that you know i hear a lot of times if you go back to that relationship you deserve what you yes. get right yeah. Yeah. and and you know they couldn't even yeah. begin to fathom yeah. the reasoning why right. a, a victim would return to their abuser Absolutely. and there's so many intricate details mm -hmm. as far as what am i going to do with my children yeah. how am i going to care for myself mm -hmm. where are we going to go especially yeah. like you're saying because a lot of times it's intentional right yes. like yep. the batterer will intentionally isolate yes and prevent them yes. from accessing work job skills right. and and those independent things that mm -hmm. we know that are important to to every individual but it's intentional right Absolutely. and they create that environment where they're preventing them from escaping if they ever were to try absolutely because it's 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 intentional in that design a lot absolutely. of times yeah. yeah we really minimize you know and i think you know can be insensitive to what it really means to lose everything mm -hmm. you know and and for a lot of people leaving an abusive relationship means that in order to save your life that you let everything go imagine you know think about you know individuals who just get divorced and, and they talk about how their their lifestyle changed, their social circle changed, right? Mm -hmm. And how isolating that can be. So think about people who are victims who are leaving relationships, right? They are basically a lot of times having to forfeit 
so much, mm -hmm. even within their families. How many times have we heard, you know, family members or family members or friends, you know, saying, well, it's, you know, it's not that bad or she just has a stressful job or mm -hmm. he just has a stressful job or still very much so a good man <clears throat> or a good mm -hmm. woman. Yeah. Right. So well, just, he's providing for them. You know, right. So, you know, like right. a good provider, you know, so <coughs> stick it out. Things will get better. Will they? Yeah. And so and sometimes your own family and friends, because what their belief system is around it, mm -hmm. they're not able to or willing to support you. Yeah. So, you know, you just you you kind of going out there, you going out on a limb. Yeah, I used to when I worked at Department of Human Resources and I did child abuse investigations, a lot of times it would be a domestic violence type situation. And we were concerned for the children's safety. And what I noticed was that there's a lot of services and wraparound support mm -hmm. for victims, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is great because we need that. Mm -hmm. But what we saw lack in was interventions for the person doing the abusing. Yes. And I always wondered why there was a gap in service there. Because it's almost as if maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a mentality, right? That, mm -hmm. well, they don't deserve help because they, they were abusing somebody, yes. right? Yes, yeah. Well, why were they abusing somebody? Did they have history? What was mm -hmm. what was their upbringing? Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder. I've always wondered why there was a lack of uh, support for batterers. Uh, I, I'm thankful that here in Huntsville we have several uh, services that we can refer batterers to mm -hmm. regarding domestic violence classes and training, mm -hmm. anger management type courses, mm -hmm. which is truly one of the, I think one of the greatest needs because that's the crux of the problem yeah. right within yeah. the relationship and if we can fix that then mm -hmm. we've restored the family ultimately mm -hmm. a lot of people will say you know do I believe that people can change right mm -hmm. in the context of being an abuser and so I always say I struggle with the question but I do wholeheartedly believe that one can if you're willing to be accountable. So if you are willing to embrace a batterer's intervention class, right? Like, let's not dress it up. Let's call it what it is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It sure. is it is a batterer's intervention class, right? You are an abuser. You have acted as an abuser. If, you know, if the legal system is involved, offender, batterer, whichever, right? Mm -hmm. But you got to own it. Mm -hmm. You have to own it. And it can't, right. can't be... I would not have done this if the other person didn't do X, right, Y, and Z, right? right? So you, you take, your right? Actions, like right? there's yeah. no, we don't justify actions, right? Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't, we cannot justify violence. Mm -hmm. We all have these lived experiences. And so even when you have lived experiences, whether it's trauma or, or whatnot, no, it was not your fault, right, that it happened to you, that you experienced that, but it is your responsibility to address it in a way that it doesn't bleed into your relationships. Yeah. And I find it interesting because a lot of times, you know, we talk about, well, if you grew up in an abusive home as mm -hmm. children, and Maria, you could probably speak to this, where they witness violence, but... Sometimes children come out of that and learn what not to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just because you've grown up in an environment where there's domestic violence in the home does not mean mm -hmm. automatically, right, that yes. you're going to be an abuser when you grow up. Mm -hmm. yeah, you could true. you could totally take that in and learn what not to do. And even though you didn't have great parenting uh, mm -hmm. demonstrated, 
you still are learning very important lessons, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's very true. I think it's it's really an interesting dynamic, especially when you you add children involved in, into the equation and and all of the challenge that come with that. What else is trending in the domestic violence world right now? I think that I don't know if I would say that is trending, but we talked about you know minimization. We talk about what I've seen a lot, and and don't get me wrong, I'm a fan of social media very much so, but we have to be careful about glorifying certain types of things on social media. And so being mindful of what types of messages that we're putting out there as it pertains to domestic violence and, and what it doesn't or doesn't look like. And some something that we see a lot is like this, that's the justification. And so being very mindful of what are you, what are you taking in? like. I want everybody to to be willing to think about what is what's my perspective mm-hmm. on it. It's you know you really can't straddle the fence. I think it's very important that even within your own circle that you are willing to make it clear that this is not something that we support. And while you may not support it, like what's your backup to that? Is that you know saying are you a safe space? for someone? Are you willing to have the hard conversations? Mm -hmm. You know, I I know everyone, depending on where you stand, I've heard people say, if I hear me too again, I'm going to scream. But if we think about it in that context, like, listen, people are going through things and they have gone through things and they don't have to obligate themselves to be quiet about it. So, you know what, maybe that's the trend is that Mm -hmm. people are not obligating themselves as much to be quiet about it, but let's take that next step. Like let's try to get help and, or be of help, be of assistance. And you bring up a really interesting topic that I do want to touch on. And that is uh, that of technology Mm -hmm. and how that has changed the landscape as to how people can control and abuse and stalk. Is stalking domestic violence? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Because we have Life360 on our Mm -hmm. phone, right? And Mm -hmm. and my wife can, you know, find my location Mm -hmm. whenever she wants. And Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. But am I I being stalked? Right. So, no, right? So... (laughs) I just want to clarify. (laughs) All right. And so, you know, I will be the first one to say, unfortunately, it's my sister that's still my emergency contact. So so she has my location. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of annoying when she's like, hey, why are you still blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, girl. So, (laughs) no, there is no threat to my safety, right? Mm -hmm. There's no threat to your safety, whether physically or emotionally if you turn off that Life 360. Well, I don't right. know. I well, mean, I was going to get ready to say, like, you know. That's how my wife reacts to that, right? Right, right. It's just, <laughs> but it's, it's right, like, you have, you have a voice. So yeah. she might not like it, but you have a voice. We can talk about it, right? Yeah. It's a safe space for you to go and say, you know what? Well, I was thinking about whatever reason you would want to come up with to turn it off, but, <laughs> but you know, yeah. it's, there's that, there's this space, but on the flip side of it is your opinion doesn't matter, right? Like it's, it's not a choice. Like you carry the phone, but it doesn't belong to you, right? Yeah. Your time doesn't belong to you. Your space doesn't belong to yeah. you. Your body doesn't belong to you. Right. That's when we get 
problematic. That's when it crosses the line. That's right? when it crosses that line. Because with my family, we have Life 360 and we have my wife, my daughter on it mm-hmm. and, in, and in me. And we all know where each other's location is. Yes. And we do that primarily for safety, right? Yes. If, if my wife's in a car accident, Absolutely. I want to know. Yes. And it gives car accident alert. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I think with technology, it has become so much more easier and prevalent to stalk and track yes. and, you know, social media accounts mm-hmm. that batterers can use yes. to locate and find yes. information out and, yes. and access and yes. things. It's become a lot more challenging, hasn't it, to it has. try to keep people safe and yes. off the radar, yes. if you will, in today's world. Yeah, I think is yeah, definitely. I think that we're kind of in a space now where we really all just need to be intentional about how we utilize social media, even to the tune of maybe how it's not safe to update in real time. So no, I know you're super excited about your vacation. I'm super excited about any vacation I might get. <laughs> 700 people on my friend list don't need to know that I am not at my home right, right now. Yeah. And so I think we all um, could learn, do you know what your privacy settings are? Whether it's on your phone, you know, I have an iPhone by default, but you know, I'm just amazed, sorry. <laughs> I'm just amazed at how many prompts I get, you know, going places. Yeah. And it's like Home Depot does not need to know where my what my location is, <laughs> right. okay? Right. Whatever restaurant I'm I'm going to, why? Like just give me the address and yeah. you know, because remember it's not just that that single thing, you're opening yourself up. And so whether we're looking at needing to to protect our privacy because we're trying to get out of a dangerous relationship or just generally good security measures, I think we all could stand to just be a lot more aware, not paranoid, mm-hmm. but just a lot more aware of how sharing on the internet can be used against you. Sure. And yeah. I think about I think about teens, right? For yes. example. You, oh, yeah. you do teen safe dating and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. things like that and some of our teen safe dating initiatives and the fact that, you know, just one click of a button and yes. a teen could really cause some damage. Yes, absolutely. And and the awareness. So what do you talk about with and with your, you know, interventions with families mm-hmm. and talking about healthy online yes. activities and things of that nature? Things don't ever go away. Things do not ever go away for real, particularly with teens and kids, youth, young people, creating a, an awareness and a responsibility for what you do and how that impacts other people, because that really does kind of segue, right? The intersection of bullying in some ways when yeah. you're making a decision about sending something out there and who it could affect, why it could affect. I think we have, we kind of, our culture is viral and sensational crazy at this point, right? right? Like, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going viral. We got to ask if that's really a good thing. <laughs> yeah. right? Is it going viral like, a good thing? Is going viral a good thing? And, and like, for what? And I think we, we don't really put enough effort into thinking about or considering what the consequences yeah. could be. So, you know, to young people, just remembering that it is there are consequences. It doesn't go away to be mindful of the impact, whether for yourself or, you know, if, if it's against someone else, 
just know that I, you know, and I can, I'm, I'll call myself out, right? Like people share. Okay. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm going to just say, it. I'm embarrassed the number of screenshots I have in my phone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, I, I, because I want to be real. I want to be, you know, like I'm going to be straight up. Like yeah. I am just a bear, like the number of screenshots. Right. <laughs> and so, and, and I say that and I have enough of my own business to mind, but you know, <laughs> right, right, so, right. but think about it. Right. So yeah. like you, when you send something to someone or you put something on the internet, mm-hmm. okay. It's not just confined right. to your followers yeah. list. Okay. Yes, and I'm telling you, like all your followers are not loyal. Right. So <laughs> some of them are just being nosy. Like, right? Some, nosy right. some of them are just being nosy business. or whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, I may or may not be that person yeah. sometimes, but I think like, once again, think about what you're putting out there, you know, think about how you're, how you're representing yourself, not even how you're representing your family, but how are you representing, you know, yourself? Right. I think those are really important conversations to have when we talk about, you know, when we're intervening on on the behalf of a victim of domestic violence or Mm -hmm. teens who are entering, you know, the dating scene, that those are just really important conversations that has has really changed our lives forever, you know, mm-hmm. because like you said, it is a forever image. And, it and is. People could do all sorts of things with them. And they Absolutely. Are, you they know? are doing and they are scary doing things. Yeah. Yeah. Even with young infants and mm-hmm. taking names and using them for alternative purposes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even the young younger kids these days that are growing up, they are voicing that they don't want their images on Facebook and other yes. platforms because it's embarrassing. If we think about when we were younger we didn't have those pictures out there i know having smash cake all kinds of stuff you don't want those embarrassing pictures out there but these kids these days are growing up with those embarrassing images of themselves out there it's gonna make it harder for them and business platforms and all kinds of other things with their images all over the place Mm -hmm. what what is the recommended age for children to have a cell phone what would y'all think i think i'm going to say so it, it varies i think that you look at like the activity level, right? So to an extent, that's why I do like something like Life 360, Mm -hmm. because at the age where you are allowing them to go and do without you, they, I think that there needs to be some some, some way device. to communicate yeah. Yeah. without them having to rely right. on, on someone else, right? Yes. And that's why there's yeah. the benefit, right? Yeah, so that, that's the benefit. benefit in mm-hmm. yeah. So I think, you know, maybe, I don't think I got to go to the mall until by myself or with a group of friends until I was like maybe 12, 12. or 13. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I was by myself. I just think my grandpa parked somewhere else. So, (laughs) so, but I think, you know, 12 or 13, but honestly, whatever point, and this has come up with, with teens a lot. And so like, if, teens are listening hear me good (laughs) if your parent pays your phone bill Mm. they get to check the phone Mm -hmm. whenever right so it's and you know so this is different right so because in healthy relationships when we're talking about when we're talking about healthy or unhealthy relationships the checking of the phone and having to forfeit that Mm -hmm. inappropriate but within the context of a parent-child relationship much different I think is is much different. And I think that the moment that they have access to a phone, a tablet, social media, 
there needs to be oversight for Absolutely. appropriateness, not just for what your child is doing, but for what they're exposed to, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Whether it be their friends or someone that they think is their age. Right. Mm-hmm. People that are posing People as... People that are posing as whatever. 12, yeah. 13, 14-year-olds and are totally not. Yeah. You know, it's it's the idea that, no, you, you know, you... If we're extending this privilege, because it is very it is much a privilege, so a privilege right? that is earned. It, yep, it's earned. Should be earned. Yep. If we're extending this privilege to you, then I have ultimate oversight yeah, of it. And I, I completely agree, but we don't always see that, right? We no. sometimes we see the parent who here, here's your phone. Yep. Have fun. Yeah. And there is no oversight. Yeah. And there has to be oversight because yeah. there's so many things kids can get into and they're unfortunately more advanced than us in the mm-hmm. technology realm because they're learning every day faster mm-hmm. than we yeah. are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having them next to you and there's, seeing what they're d- touching and so that you can yeah. get into yes. what they're doing yeah. so you yeah. know, okay, what website did you actually visit and what app are you hiding because there's apps that do that unfortunately there's there's even like code language yeah you have to decode what they're saying because one thing or an emoji Uh, may mean one thing to us but uh the underworld it means something totally different absolutely decoding that parents have to decipher and and be educated on yes yes and i think like this is a time where it's really important we know that the sphere of influence changes rapidly as you know kids age and such and so you are competing with their friends and with social media Mm -hmm. and with whatever is going on in the culture at any given time but I think that it's important that you know when you get this information right as much as you may want to blow a gasket that you figure out a way how not to do that Mm -hmm. so that you can have a conversation about this is why this is problematic, mm-hmm. right? Yep. This this is what the consequences could be or the implications yeah, lay that out can, could be, yeah. right? So like, let's not use it as a I got you type, right. type of thing or yep. just for punitive reasons, but to actually try to have some conversations around like what's going on with you or mm-hmm. in your world. I call those mentoring moments. Yes. Let's have a mentoring moment. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I like, and don't get me wrong. Like I know I can only imagine, you know, how hard it is, but, but very, very necessary because there's a lot of things that can be perpetrated because kids feel like they cannot talk to their parents and you don't want to miss it. Yeah. You know, I think if we, if we teach our kids early, then they will grow up and make good decisions for their own lives and when they have children in their own families. So, yes. well, Jeronica and Maria, I really Thanks. appreciate this discussion today. We're trying to raise awareness for all things domestic violence this mm-hmm. month. So the discussion was, was amazing. Please stay tuned for future podcasts. We hope to bring you more topics of interest and things that are going on within our community and abroad and to help uh, military families, our civilians out here at Redstone Arsenal and wherever you may be listening to this podcast. My name is Tim Rolfe. I'm the Family Advocacy Program Manager here at Redstone Arsenal, and we are signing off for today.